As Becca said, my name is Samantha Pavlak. I'm the founder of Femme Catholic. We are a blog and event platform uh, for promoting the equality of men and women. And I want to issue a little disclaimer um, before my talk. Nothing that follows will be anti-Catholic, unorthodox, or contrary to church teaching. I'm going to use popes, saints, and official church documents for this talk. And yes, you are in the right place to hear the talk on feminism. But why do Catholics need that disclaimer? I think because a lot of times when you hear the word feminism, you can pretty much guarantee what follows is going to be something outside the realm of Catholic teaching. But in 1995, Saint Pope John Paul II actually issued a call for us Catholics to rise up in the name of feminism, a call for a new feminism in his papal encyclical Evangelium Vitae. He said, it depends on women to promote a new feminism, which rejects the temptation of imitating models of male domination in order to acknowledge and affirm the true genius of women in every aspect of the life of society and overcome all discrimination, violence, and exploitation. So the Pope himself, who we just heard a little bit about, who is now a canonized saint, is acknowledging that women have and still do face discrimination, violence, and exploitation. He's proposing a kind of new feminism as the solution. Which brings us to the first good reason for Catholics to be feminists. Because women still need our help. How many of you have heard or felt like, well, we don't really need feminism because women are pretty much equal already. And yeah, we can vote, we can drive, we can own land, and get a credit card without our husband's permission. Yes, that used to be a real issue. But we have to remember or realize that not all women around the world have those rights. According to the UN, 49 countries still lack laws protecting women from domestic violence and 39 countries bar equal inheritance rights for daughters. One in five women and girls under the age of 50 will have experienced physical or sexual violence by an intimate partner within the last year. Harmful practices such as child marriage affect 50 million, 15 million girls under the age of 18 every year. Around the world, there are still women not being acknowledged by name who do not, or not being allowed to be acknowledged by name, who do not have equal access to education, and even who are forced to marry their rapists. In his call for new feminism less than 25 years ago, St. John Paul II is affirming that, yeah, women are still facing a lot. And he's asking us to take up this movement, quote, in order to acknowledge and affirm the true genius of women in every aspect of the life of society and overcome all discrimination, violence, and exploitation. As Catholics, we need to answer this call. Catholic social teaching promotes this idea too. As Catholics, we are called to help the poor and the oppressed, including those in our own communities and in other countries. Unfortunately, in many cases, those in need are women. Even here in the United States, one in three women live in or on the brink of poverty, 
And without guaranteed maternity leave, many women submit to the truly barbaric option to return to work only days after giving birth. I've had two, so I can speak to that. Uh, Not going back to work that early, but that it would be barbaric to do that. In June of 2017, the New York Times ran an article called Pregnancy Discrimination is Rampant in South America's Biggest Companies. And did you know that it was completely legal to fire a woman for being pregnant until 1984? That means that your mom could have legally been laid off from her job anytime for the fact of the way her body works. But Catholics have actually been talking about this for a while. In 1995, Pope John Paul II said this, And what shall we say of the obstacles which in so many parts of the world still keep women from being fully integrated into social, political, and economic life? We need only think of how the gift of motherhood is often penalized rather than rewarded, even though humanity owes its very survival to this gift. Certainly much remains to be done to prevent discrimination against those who have chosen to be wives and mothers. As far as personal rights are concerned, there is an urgent need to achieve real equality in every area. Equal pay for equal work, protection for working mothers, fairness in career advancements, equality of spouses with regard to family rights, and the recognition of everything that is part of the rights and duties of citizens in a democratic state. This is an urgent need, said our Pope back in 1995. But for a long time, women's contributions to society have been overlooked or downright ignored. And for many women, not working is simply not even an option. Which is why we must help women achieve equality at work and in all areas of society. Because it's just and because it's good for the world. Women, by our very presence, through our unique approach and charisms, we make the world and the workplace more human and more personal. JP2 goes on, this is a matter of justice, but also of necessity. Women will increasingly play a part in the solution of serious problems in the future, leisure time, quality of life, migration, social services, euthanasia, drugs, healthcare, the ecology, etc. In all these areas, a greater presence of women in society will prove most valuable, for it will help to manifest the contradictions present when society is organized solely according to the criteria of efficiency and productivity. And it will force systems to be redesigned in a way which favors the processes of humanization that mark the civilization of love. So the Pope clearly says, hey Catholics, women's equality in the workplace and in politics and in society at large, this is a social justice issue and there is an urgent need to get to work on it. There you go. I think I just gave you something to bond with your feminist friends over. One other topic you might be surprised that you can bond with feminists over 
is stay-at-home moms and the importance of caring for children. The United Nations and feminists around the world have recently begun talking about the issue of care work, which is basically the work involved in caring for the children, the sick, and the elderly around the world, most of which is done by women. The idea is to bring greater recognition and appreciation for the incredible foundational value that care work has on society, even though it's often work that's not formally paid. In more developed countries, I think this is a way for stay-at-home moms especially to join forces with feminists, in that work and care for children in the home is incredibly important and deserves to be recognized as such. In less developed countries, care work includes things like walking for miles to get fresh water and can hinder women's ability to pursue basic education or a job to put food on the table. So around the hall, around the block, around the world, women are still suffering and they still need our help. Our faith and our Pope are calling us to respond. That is the number one reason that Catholics should be feminists. Number two is to build bridges and converse with secular culture to better understand feminist concerns. Okay, so you're super inspired by JP2's words. You're ready to call up your local feminist organization and get involved. You show up excited to get to work and somebody sees your Newman Center sticker. Are you Catholic? I didn't think Catholics could be feminists. I thought Catholics hate women. Yikes. Let's talk about why that happens for a second. Uh, first, how you, have you ever considered how pretty much all of the controversial Catholic teachings are about women? Contraception, abortion, women priests, they're all pretty tied to women. And because of all these controversies, a lot of people have a really hard time seeing the Catholic Church as particularly pro-woman. But Catholics are pretty hesitant to use the word feminist. So let's talk about that. First, what do words do? They communicate something. And the word feminist communicates something powerful. That you or your idea or your movement is pro-woman. Voicing your support for women opens doors and is a tool for starting conversations that otherwise might not have happened. In our world of 140 or whatever the character tweets are these days, it's far too easy for certain topics or groups immediately to be stereotyped as anti-woman. But the word feminist challenges those assumptions. Take the pro-life movement, for example. For a long time, pro-lifers have been cast as being merely anti-abortion and anti-woman. So much so that when the original Women's March was first organized, pro-life groups were identified as entirely being anti-woman and unwelcome at the march. But one particular group prompted conversation around this assumption, a pro-life group that called themselves the New Wave Feminists. By calling themselves feminists, this group and others cause people to stop and ask, wait, so you actually care about women? And they created a totally different kind of conversation. That one word, feminist, broke through people's assumptions and created space. 
space to actually get to know each other and maybe have a discussion about what the heck we believe and what they believe and where we could maybe meet in the middle. Using the word feminist creates an avenue for bridge building with secular feminists who are often concerned with many of the same issues that Catholic feminists want to address. Violence against women, access to education, and women's equal rights in the workplace. When you can acknowledge that both parties are feminists, such that both parties care about women's well-being, you've found a starting point for collaboration. For example, both secular feminists and Catholic feminists are concerned about women in developing countries and their ability to thrive. We may disagree on how to approach fertility and whether or not to use contraception, but there are ways that we can work together to promote the good of women perhaps through nonprofit awareness, micro-lending, or ethical trade. When you start working side-by-side side with somebody, even somebody you thought you had pretty much nothing in common with, you start to get to know them and see them as a real person. I'm sure many of you have seen all raging feminists categorized and reported on by conservative or sometimes Catholic groups as if they're some kind of alternative species and sure, many of these groups have very different agendas than that of the Catholic Church. But they are still people. They're still humans following fellow people in our human family that we are called to see, to love, and to evangelize. Martin Luther King Jr. said, We never get rid of an enemy by meeting hate with hate. We get rid of an enemy by getting rid of enmity. By its very nature, love creates and builds up. Love transforms with redemptive power. For me, feminism has genuinely been a way to do that in my own life. In college, I took this class called The History of Sexuality in America. Confession, I heard it was an easy A, <laughs> so I took it. But this class honestly changed my life. The professor was a sweet lady, liberal in the truest sense of the word, meaning she genuinely wanted to hear from all sides and let all voices be heard. She had some pretty different political views than me, but I realized that she really genuinely cared about women. This wasn't just a political rampage for her. She deeply, truly cared about how women were doing and how they had been mistreated throughout history. That semester, I read and learned about how women have been deeply, deeply hurt through various ways men have been able to take advantage of women's sexual vulnerability. Through marital rape, which was not outlawed until the 1970s, being abandoned while pregnant, and through a general disregard for women as equals, justified on the grounds that women's hormonal changes made them hysterical. Yes, women actually used to be diagnosed with hysteria for fainting, nervousness, PMS, and then they were subjected to treatments that could even include hospitalization or surgery to remove their uterus. This history class in college was a huge wake-up call for me. And I realized there, it's no wonder feminists sought solutions like contraception and abortion. These were women who saw their friends, sisters, and mothers die in childbirth, bear the children of an abusive husband, 
or be fired for getting pregnant when they needed that income to put food on the table. Like Margaret Sanger, the birth control activist who founded what later became Planned Parenthood. Do you know her story? She was one of 11 kids. Her mom was actually Catholic and had 11 children and seven miscarriages, so 18 total pregnancies in her lifetime. Margaret Sanger's mom passed away at the young age of 40, and it is said that Margaret blamed her poor health on the grueling toll that 18 pregnancies had taken on her mom's body. I'm really close with my mom, and I have to tell you, it's no wonder to me that this grieving young woman grew up to become such a tireless advocate for birth control. I can only imagine if I felt like my mom left my life too early because of something she should have had control over. And I think Margaret Sanger's relentless, relentless drive was fueled by something much deeper than just political opinions. Does that mean I agree with her agenda? No. But as I read and listened and learned that semester, I started seeing that these feminists were people who were deeply affected by women's suffering and trying to fight back. They thought, okay, if I can put some control back in women's hands, maybe they can protect themselves from this evil. They saw how men were far less vulnerable and thought, okay, if we can make women's bodies more like men's bodies, more equivalent to men's bodies, maybe they won't be as vulnerable. I kind of get that. And it angers me to think of how women are used, abused, and abandoned. The vulnerability of our bodies exploited for pleasure and money around the world. And it angered JP2 too. He said, when we look at one of the most sensitive aspects of the situation of women in the world, how can we not mention the long and degrading history, albeit often an underground history, of violence against women in the area of sexuality. At the threshold of the third millennium, we cannot remain indifferent and resigned before this phenomenon. The time has come to condemn vigorously the types of sexual violence which frequently have women for their object and to pass laws which effectively defend them from such violence. Nor can we fail in the name of the respect due to the human person to condemn the widespread hedonistic and commercial culture which encourages the systematic exploitation of sexuality and corrupts even very young girls into letting their bodies be used for profit. So Catholics, we cannot remain indifferent. Here, I want to take a minute to talk about abortion something that many Catholics, in my experience, have taken time to condemn vigorously. But I fear oftentimes at the expense of women. <clears throat> After personally spending many years doing pro-life work, I have come to see that we can do a much better job understanding the perspective of our sisters who are pro-choice. My personal hero, St. Edith Stein, had an important saying do not accept truth without love or love without truth. One without the other is a destructive lie. 
I have seen that often Catholics jump at the chance to share the truth that abortion takes a human life, but without the appropriate dose of compassion and understanding towards the women procuring them. Frederica Matthews Green, the former vice president of Feminists for Life of America, said, Like an animal caught in a trap, trying to gnaw off its own leg, a woman seeks abortion, trying to escape a desperate situation by an act of violence and self-loss. Abortion is not a sign that women are free, but a sign that they are desperate. Abortion is not a choice I believe any woman wants to make regardless of whether or not she believes she should be able to make it. Like someone in the depths of a dark night of depression, what I have come to understand is that abortion, like suicide, becomes a kind of trap door through which to escape what feels like insurmountable pain. I beg you, we must stop offering truth without love on the issue of abortion. Pope John Paul specifically addressed women who have had abortions in Evangelium Vitae, where he called for new feminism. He said, The church is aware of the many factors which may have, caused, which may have influenced your decision, and she does not doubt that in many cases it was a painful and even shattering decision. The wound in your heart may not have healed. Certainly what happened was and remains terribly wrong. But do not give in to discouragement and do not lose hope. Try to understand what happened and face it honestly. If you've not already done so, give yourselves over with humility and trust to repentance. The Father of mercies is ready to give you his forgiveness and his peace in the sacrament of reconciliation. To the same Father and his mercy, you can with sure hope entrust your child. With the friendly and expert help and advice of other people, and as a result of your own painful experience, you can become among the most eloquent defenders of everyone's right to life. Through your commitment to life, whether by accepting the birth of other children or by welcoming and caring for those most in need of someone to be close to them, you will become promoters of a new way of looking at human life. Friends, this is an example of truth in love. This is an example of what new feminism should sound like. Which brings us to the third reason that Catholics should be feminists. Because our faith does see men and women as equal. But we need to better understand what that means. So we talked about understanding feminist concerns and realizing that the word feminist can be a powerful tool for building common ground. But let's back up. What is the secular definition of feminism again? That men and women are equal. Here's the thing. The Catholic Church agrees. In fact, it's literally Catholic doctrine that men and women are equal. Men and women have man and woman have been created in perfect equality as human persons, says the catechism. Man and woman are both with one and the same dignity in the image of God. In their being man and being woman together, they reflect the creator's wisdom and goodness. Which is why feminism is not just a woman's issue, 
It affects men and it affects all of us. Pope Benedict XVI said, similarly, inadequate consideration for the condition of women helps create instability in the fabric of society. I think of the exploitation of women who are treated as objects and of the many ways that a lack of respect is shown for their dignity. I also think in a different context of the mindset persisting in some cultures where women are still firmly subordinated to the arbitrary decisions of men with grave consequences for their personal dignity and for the exercise of their fundamental freedoms. He goes on, there can be no illusion of secure peace until these forms of discrimination are overcome since they injure the personal dignity impressed by the creator upon every human being. I love that. No illusion of secure peace. Pope Benedict, uh, just in case you're tempted to think that men are superior because God walked around the earth as a man, the catechism goes on. In no way is God in man's image. He is neither man nor woman. God is pure spirit in which there is no place for the difference between the sexes. But the respective perfections of man and woman reflect something of the infinite perfection of God. So the perfection of man and the perfection of woman together reflect the image of God in humanity. What does the perfection of women look like? Well, we're still trying to figure that out. Uh, which is why even Pope Francis has called for a deeper theology of woman to answer these questions. And it's something that we're trying to explore on Femme Catholic as well. Feminism is about advocating for women and allowing them to thrive as their most authentic selves. Who better to inform us on how to do that than the one who designed women in the first place? This is where we get to the hinge of, I think anyway, pretty much all disagreements between secular and Catholic feminists. In my history class, I learned how women were taken advantage of for their biological vulnerability, women's capacity to get pregnant. Seeing women's body as the source of that vulnerability and the source of that oppression, many secular feminists began to focus on campaigning for gender neutrality in order to show that women weren't, in fact, all that different from men and should be recognized as equal. The problem is that secular feminists, in their effort to protect women and make us less vulnerable in all these ways that we were being hurt, made a kind of bargain, the female body in exchange for equality. They said, women can be equal, women can do everything men can do. We can be just like men if you let us sit at the table. And we've seen huge progress for women in the workplace, from where we were before anyway. But take note that that progress disappears when you consider women who are mothers. In fact, whether or not a woman is a mother has been shown to be the key factor in the pay gap. And I can't say I'm shocked. The United States is still the only major developed country, the only one in the world, that does not offer 
mandated paid maternity leave. If you or someone you know has given birth, uh, you know this is not a luxury we're asking for. This is a serious, serious medical need to give women time to recover from a major medical event. But it's, hard, it's harder to fight for those rights when you've already bargained for this kind of sameness, this kind of equivalent exchange between the sexes, the way that secular feminists have. The line of thinking is what I believe bred much of today's work culture and the expectation that, sure, women can get along with men at the office as long as their biology doesn't get in the way. The whole my body, my choice movement has quickly devolved into your body, your choice, your problem. The failure to acknowledge women's biological differences has freed corporations, politicians, and society at large from accommodating women's very real medical needs in and outside of the workplace. And it doesn't stop there. This attitude has crept into our relationships and even our marriages. See, the main difference between men and women is that women carry and bear children. And the way our body is designed is largely around, oriented around this capacity. Which means that sex has majorly different ramifications for women. The increasing forms and prevalence of birth control have seemingly enabled women to live and work side by side with men in all the same ways. Without having to root, worry about this difference or make accommodations for pregnancy, childbirth, and everything that comes with it like breastfeeding. But the problem is that this apparent state of equality for women still hinges on us censoring our difference, our capacity to get pregnant. And sometimes birth control fails. So then women's equality actually hinges not on birth control, but on abortion. So even with birth control and abortion, women are left to deal with fertility on their own. That doesn't sound like equality to me. And this is where, as a feminist, I am incredibly proud to be Catholic. Because this is one area I think the church is way ahead of the game. You all know Catholics don't support using birth control, but you know what they suggest using instead. NFP, natural family planning. NFP is basically where you chart different physical signs of a woman's body so you can identify the few days each month when a woman is fertile. And if you're trying to avoid pregnancy, you can avoid having sex on those days. It's not just the day-to-day awareness of whether or not it's a fertile day. The process of learning NFP requires that men learn how a woman's body functions and how different it is from their own. That knowledge is powerful. Just ask any man who's learned it. Not to mention learning NFP is oriented around educating people on how women work. Honestly, how often can we say that that's the case elsewhere? NFP sets the tone that sex is different for women 
And it serves as this kind of constant reminder to both men and women that it includes a kind of vulnerability for women that sex does not require from men. But NFP is feminist because it invites men back into the conversation on fertility. NFP invites men to be equally aware and responsible for what can happen when you have sex and equally intentional about their actions. Some of you might be wondering, couldn't this be true with birth control too? Not quite, because NFP is not just Catholic-approved birth control. And that's a really important distinction. People may try to use NFP as just a natural contraceptive, but without that discernment, it's not actually NFP. The purpose and power in NFP is the constant discernment and conversation between spouses. The church says that whether you want to get pregnant or avoid pregnancy, you need to discern it, discuss it, and consciously choose your actions accordingly. Which is why if you use NFP but aren't communicating or your husband resents you or blames you for your cycle, something needs to change. That's not taking mutual responsibility. It's just women continuing to bear the burden of fertility themselves. The more men learn about NFP, the more they are empowered too because they can see for themselves how cycles are changing, what today's forecast is, and what to expect based on what you've both discussed. (laughs) They can also better support women through their erratic cycles, PMS, or challenges conceiving, but they need the knowledge to do so. For too long, men's bodies and the way that they work have been upheld as the gold standard. Birth control sustains this idea of men as the sort of ideal form of human, standard form of human. Because birth control provides women equality through attempting to conform their bodies to this standard, which leaves women alone responsible to control their fertility and deal with the ramifications of it. Remember what JP2 said? We need a feminism that rejects this idea of women imitating or conforming to be just like men. True equality requires that we first acknowledge how women's bodies work, and then that we invite men to be equally aware of fertility. That's exactly what NFP does. And that's what Catholic feminism says. It's time we stop pushing women to merely imitate men. It's time we stop being ashamed of how our bodies work or thinking of ourselves as a burden. It's time we stop underestimating men, and it's time we ask more of men. It's time for equality, but ladies, on some level, we are in control. It's time to invite men into that part of ourselves and our lives. And it's what the church is calling you to do. So hopefully this has given you a lot to chew on. Uh, In review, Catholics can be feminists because, number one, women around the world and here in the United States are still suffering greatly and need our help. Number two, using the word feminist can actually help build bridges and encounter and evangelize people who are different than us, but maybe not as different as we first thought. And number three, feminism is the belief that men and women are equal, and Catholics believe that. 
we need to give a voice to just how good church teachings like NFP are for women. And that's a large part of the mission of Femme Catholic. So I encourage you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, St. Pope John Paul II, and Mary in particular, how are you calling me to live out Catholic feminism right now? Is it advocating for women in need? Speaking more charitably about abortion? Recognizing women as equally capable of leadership? Learning NFP? Giving time or money to Catholic charities? Helping so many women in need? Maybe it's joining your company's women's network. Offering prayer for women who've been sexually abused. I leave you with a quote from St. Pope John Paul II from his 1995 letter to women. Unfortunately, we are heirs to a history which has conditioned us to a remarkable extent. In every time and place, this conditioning has been an obstacle to the progress of women. Women's dignity has often been unacknowledged and their prerogatives misrepresented. They have often been relegated to the margins of society and even reduced to servitude. This has prevented women from truly being themselves and it has resulted in a spiritual impoverishment of humanity. Certainly it is no easy task to assign blame for this considering the many kinds of cultural conditioning which down the centuries have shaped ways of thinking and acting. And if objective blame, especially in particular historical contexts, has belonged to not just a few members of the church, he says, for this I am truly sorry. May this regret be transformed on the part of the whole church into a renewed commitment of fidelity to the gospel vision. When it comes to the setting free, women free from every kind of exploitation and domination, the gospel contains an ever-relevant message which goes back to the attitude of Jesus Christ himself. Transcending the established norms of his own culture, Jesus treated women with openness, respect, acceptance, and tenderness. In this way, he honored the dignity which women have always possessed according to God's plan and in his love. As we look to Christ at the end of the second millennium, it is natural to ask ourselves, how much of his message has been heard and acted upon? <laughs>